0: Chapter 8, Part 3 of History of the Christian Church During the First Six Centuries. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. This recording by Anna Roberts. History of the Christian Church During the First Six Centuries by S. Cheatham. Chapter 8, Social Life and Ceremonies of the Church. Part 3. Number 6 as was natural christians from the first dedicated special days to special observances christians says ignatius no longer observed the sabbath yet this must not be understood as if they paid it no respect for some at any rate observed it as a day of joyful thanksgiving for the creation of the world but whether they observed the sabbath or not they always recognized the weekly cycle and their great weekly festival was the first day of the week the day on which christ rose from the dead this day was already called sunday a name which Christians soon adopted, but its distinctively Christian appellation was the Lord's Day. On this day, dedicated to holy, joyful, and exultant commemoration, it was not permitted to fast, or even to adopt the humbled posture of kneeling in prayer. Some also abstained from kneeling in their prayers on the Sabbath. To abstain, so far as possible, from ordinary business on the Lord's Day, had come to be recognized as a duty as early as the end of the second century the wednesday in each week as the day on which the rulers of the jews took counsel to put jesus to death and the friday as the day of the lord's crucifixion were towards the end of the second century observed as stations days on which christians were to be specially on guard in statione, against the assaults of the enemy when they had special devotions the year was also marked by a cycle of festivals the venerable feast of pascha continued to be observed in the church with a great change of significance about the time of its observance early there arose serious divisions in the church under the jewish law the paschal lamb was sacrificed on the fourteenth day of the lunar month nisan and on the sixteenth was offered the sheaf which represented the first fruits of the harvest thus the offering of the lamb was always at or near the time of full moon as the lord suffered and rose again at the paschal season this festival naturally became to christians a commemoration of the passion and the resurrection but there were considerable differences in early times both as to the time and the manner of the observance the ebionites as they maintained generally the perpetual obligation of the mosaic law even in ceremonial matters kept their pascha on the fourteenth nisan with all the old ceremonies holding that the lord had also done this on the day before his death the catholic jewish christians whose practice was extensively followed by the churches of asia minor while agreeing with the ebionites as to the season for observing their pascha gave it a decidedly christian significance christ they held the true paschal lamb had himself been slain on the fourteenth nissan and had consequently not held an ordinary pascha with his disciples they therefore commemorated the crucifixion on the fourteenth nissan and the resurrection on the sixteenth these were in later times known as quarto decimans but in the west and especially in rome where the influence of judaism was less the variation from the ancient jewish observance was much greater There it was held that as there was already a weekly commemoration of the resurrection on the first day of the week, the week-day on which, as all were agreed, the Lord actually rose, the great annual festival in honor of the same great event should take place on no other day. The commemoration of the crucifixion would consequently fall on the sixth day of the week, Friday. If, therefore, the 14th Nisan did not fall on a Friday, the Romans commemorated the crucifixion on the Friday next, after it, and the resurrection on the following Sunday. For some years this divergency of practice continued in the church without collision. The first signs of division were given on occasion of a visit of Polycarp of Smyrna to Rome. The Roman bishop, Anesitus appealed, in defense of his own practice, to the tradition of his church, while Polycarp, in defense of the Asiatic custom, alleged that he himself actually celebrated a Pascha with the apostle St. John. Neither would yield to the other, but the two bishops at last parted in peace. Some forty years later, however, the contest was renewed, with much greater violence, by Victor, Bishop of Rome, and Polycrates of Ephesus. The former even went so far as to refuse to hold communion with the Asiatic churches, so long as they continued to observe the paschal season in their accustomed manner. This high-handed proceeding was, however, generally resented. Irenaeus, in particular, himself sprung from Asia Minor, remonstrated warmly with the Bishop of Rome, with full agreement of his Gallican brethren the question remains still for some generations undecided but the roman practice seems to have spread in the third century a new difficulty arose in early times christians had been content to accept the current jewish paschal season as their own now however it came to be alleged that the jews themselves had varied In ancient times, it was said, the Jews had always so arranged their calendar that the 14th Nisan was the day of the first full moon after the vernal equinox, but after the fall of Jerusalem they had ceased to observe this, so that their paschal full moon was sometimes before that epoch. As some Christians observed, while others neglected the rule as to the equinox, it was possible for one church to be celebrating its Pascha a month earlier than another. It was probably this uncertainty about the correct reckoning of the Pascha which induced Christian teachers to attempt an independent calculation, taking account of the official Roman calendar. Hippolytus of Rome drew up a cycle for indicating the true paschal full moon, based on the suppositions that the vernal equinox fell on the 18th March, and that after 16 years the full moons again fell on the same days of the year. His cycle found great acceptance in the West. For the Alexandrian Church, a different cycle was drawn up by its bishop Dionysius. This was, however, soon superseded by the cycle correct in so far as it assumed the recurrence of the full moons on the same year-day in nineteen years of anatolius of laodicea but the diversity of practice continued to exist and the paschal question was one of those brought before the council of nicaea the commemoration of the lord's crucifixion was from ancient times preceded by a fast in the second century we find that some fasted at this time one day some two days some forty hours and that these differences were mutually tolerated Socrates states that the Roman custom was to fast three weeks, while in Greece and Alexandria a forty days' fast was observed. Uniformity in this respect was not established before the fifth or sixth century. In the week immediately preceding Easter Sunday, the fast was, in some churches at least, very strict, most of all on the two days, Good Friday and the Great Sabbath, before Easter Sunday many spent the whole night between the great sabbath and easter sunday in devotion in the churches and hailed with joy the dawn of the easter morning the seven weeks which followed easter were a time of special joyfulness during which the faithful did not bend the knee but prayed standing the fortieth day after the festival of the resurrection corresponding to the day of the lord's ascension was naturally one of triumphant jubilation the festal season ended with the fiftieth day pentecost the day of the great outpouring of the holy spirit at jerusalem the birthday of the Christian Church. The followers of Basilides are said to have kept a festival, with the vigil preceding, in commemoration of the baptism of the Lord in the Jordan. Another class of yearly festivals arose from the annual commemorations of martyrs, which took place on the day of their death and, where it was possible, at their tombs. From the first, the faithful shewed the greatest anxiety to obtain possession of the mortal remains of those who had fallen in the great fight, and with like care they noted the day of departure the birthday of their brother into a higher life besides the ceremonies usual at the graves of the faithful departed the acts of the martyr were recited and probably before the end of the third century it became customary to pass the night preceding the festival sometimes with much disorder at his tomb seven it is not probable that in the earliest times of christianity christians raised special buildings for their worship when they were rejected by the synagogue those who held christ for the messiah met wherever they could obtain leave to meet in the large upper room or loft of a disciple, in the lecture-theatre of a rhetorician, in the great hall of a Greek or Roman house. Early in the third century Christians had acquired land with a view to erecting a place of worship, and it is probable that at this time they possessed buildings of their own, resembling the scala, or lodge-rooms, which various guilds or corporations erected for their meetings." During the dark days of Decius and Diocletian, they sometimes met in the silence and secrecy of the subterranean cemeteries, portions of which have been thought to be arranged as churches. But in the peaceful period between those emperors, the work of church-building went actively forward. The increased congregations were no longer satisfied with their old narrow rooms, but built everywhere large and conspicuous churches. The stately church of Nicomedia was visible from the emperor's palace. Of the fittings and ornaments of churches in the first three centuries little is known except that each church had a table or altar for the administration of the Eucharist, and a desk or raised footpace for the reader or preacher. The supposed church in the catacomb of St. Agnes has at one end, hewn in the tufa, a chair which is thought to be the seat of the bishop, and the earliest description of a church places the bishop's throne in the middle of the east end, with the seats of the presbyters on each side as all christian buildings of the first three centuries have long disappeared it is only in the catacombs that we can look for remains of early christian art there we find that from the earliest times the faithful decorated with paintings the chambers where they lay their dead and where the living sometimes assembled they adopted as was inevitable the style and many of the subjects of their pagan contemporaries as in the house of pagan pompeii so in the christian vaults the vine trails over the walls birds and butterflies, and winged genii displaying their beauties, and graceful draped female figures are not absent, but the vine symbolize the Savior, and the other representations also received a new significance. Even the figure of the mythic Orpheus came to symbolize the attractive power of Christ. The fish represented both the Savior himself and the disciple who draws life from the vivifying water. Under the image of the fisherman Christ is seen as the great fisher of men, and under that of the shepherd he gathers his sheep in his arms, or leads them to pasture scenes from the old testament are made to symbolize the truths of the new direct representations of christ and his saints are generally avoided in the earliest christian pictorial art gems were early engraved with christian symbols the devices which clement recommends are the dove the fish the ship the lyre the anchor the fisherman and very early specimens are extant bearing these and similar figures tertullian alludes to the figure of the good shepherd carrying the lost sheep which christians love to see on the bottom of cups seemingly glass cups. The bottoms of many such cups, bearing various representations, in gold leaf, enclosed between two layers of glass, are found embedded in the mortar of the catacombs. Not only does the Good Shepherd appear in these, with many other Christian symbols, but heads are found, intended seemingly for portraits of apostles and other saints whose names are appended. Such were the small beginnings of the arts which in eighteenth centuries have raised magnificent buildings and displayed glorious representations of sacred scenes in the most enlightened countries of the world. End of chapter 8